I'm really pleased to introduce Tony Clark to you, our storyteller for the week. Uh, Tony is a Navy helicopter pilot uh, turned Amazon extraordinaire. And uh, I got to hang out with Tony last year's men's retreat. And um, I really liked the guy. I don't know what to say. We struck up a friendship. We uh, gave beer brewing a shot. And uh, uh, my favorite thing about Tony is how smart he is. He's smart in like this really practical way. And it really comes through in these perfect emails that he writes. It's like full of grace, full of instruction, seasoned with salt, grammatically correct, punctuation is just spot on, and I, I love that about Tony, and it can sort of captures for me who Tony is. So Tony, come on up and tell us your story. Thank you. I really... I always enjoy Peter's introductions because I never know what he's going to say, and it's always different. So thank you. I'm super excited to be up here. As soon as Peter introduced this series, I was like, I want to do this. I want to get up and, and tell some stories. Um, I'm going to caveat. I love crowd participation, so there will be a piece of that today. So fair warning. I definitely need your help in that. Um, I'm going to tell a few stories kind of all mixed together, and it kind of themes together, hopefully. Um, I'll start with the fact that I'm not really big into birthdays um, at all. I don't like to celebrate them. I think it stems from my family. Um, you know, my family wasn't big into celebrations. We didn't throw birthday parties. I, didn't, I never had one as a kid. Um, you know, my grandmother would take me to Toys R Us as a kid and, and by myself, just one-on-one, -on -one, and I'd, I'd get a present. Never had a birthday cake. Um, I grew up, my birthday is in the fall, so, and I grew up in New England, so we really enjoyed apples, so I, I usually get a birthday apple pie is my thing, which I like, I really do. Um, just my immediate family, just small, you know, acknowledgement, you know, cards and, and, and money. It's funny. My aunt Cheryl, uh, since 97 or 98, she's been sending me Amazon gift cards uh, for my birthday. So crazy foreshadowing with that. Um, no parties, no events, no public acknowledgements. I mean, my birthday this past year went by at work and not a single person um, knew about it or recognized it. And that was just fine with me. Um, it sounds sad, I know, but it's actually kind of the way I grew up, right? I grew up this way and I brought it into my adult life and that's just, just kind of how I am. On the flip side, if you have met my wife, she, her family is huge into birthday weeks, right? <laughs> um, you know, they, there's hats and decorations and toys and uh, you know, they, they, they don't live together like in the same cities anymore. So there are virtual celebrations where they literally record videos of each other singing happy birthday and send them across the country to each other. Scavenger hunts, you know, clues all over the house to where, where presents are, had decorations stay up for weeks or months at end. I mean, in our house, if you've been over, our decorations are up for quite a while. It's really fun. I, and I never had that before, and, and it permeates her whole entire family. Uh, so I'm really thankful to have that in my life, you know. So how does this work? You know, I come from no celebration, and she, she enjoys it very much. Um, 
you know, in the beginning, you know, dating and early marriage, it was definitely a way for me to kind of show my stuff, per se, right? You know, I, I remember the first time I celebrated her birthday, I set up a, an elaborate scavenger hunt all day long. Um, I had friends involved. I had multiple locations around the city of San Diego. She went to the zoo. She went to a dog park. She got her, her nails done with a friend. Uh, every point was a, was a positive handoff, and she was just busy all day. And it ended with me um, having dinner ready for her at one of our favorite places in San Diego. It was a really, really fun day. Um, another time, I think, we, we went to Disneyland. We're huge Disney fans in our family, if you, if you ever come over. We have a whole room sort of dedicated to it. Um, and there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, but later in our lives, right, kids and work gets more serious and things get more hectic. I think my natural tendencies started to take over and uh, birthdays started to kind of become secondary and maybe even detrimental. I, uh, you know, I take ownership for a lot of this. You know, there was one birthday in particular when I just joined Amazon. I was super busy. Um, just working a ton, that I just completely forgot her birthday. And I didn't, I didn't say happy birthday to her once in the entire day. And I was getting ready for bed, and I laid down, and she comes in in tears because I had forgotten her birthday. And it was, it was not malicious in any sense or form. It was just the way I grew up, right? There was another time where she and I got into such a huge fight over something so trivial, I can't, I don't even remember what it was about. I'm sure she does, but I have no clue. Um, to the point where I literally wouldn't engage her that day and I would not say happy birthday to her. I mean, how, how awful is that? Um, just the, the, the rage in my heart at that time. Uh, you know, and, and you know, there are other things going on there, but my lack of concern for her need for birthday celebration really kind of struck me at that time. At this point, we, no gifts, like we just exchange like cash basically between ourselves. Um, you know, I like, I like event-based birthday presents, so I get to do something fun and then she gets to do something fun, which is great, but there is no personal connection there, right? Like, like I literally plan what I wanna do and she literally plans what she wants to do. So, you know, again, th this goes towards my bias rather than hers and, and I feel, I feel, responsible for that. I think it's not good that my bias is taking over here, you know. So, thinking a lot about, as I tell these stories, about the needs of my family and, 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 you know, her needs as far as how great it is to celebrate these milestones in life. You know, I think of God's words to love your wife, and um, I don't really think I'm doing that with the way I'm handling this, so something that I need to work on myself. Um, which leads me to crowd participation. Um, so, funny thing is when Peter asked me to speak today, is today is actually Liz's birthday. Like, it literally is her birthday today, right? So what I'm gonna do is A, thank everybody in here for throwing such a great potluck birthday celebration for my wife. And B, I'm gonna ask you guys to stand up and do what you guys always do and sing in church but we're gonna sing happy birthday to Liz. Can we do that right now? Yeah. All right. I'll lead us and then we, I want you to be really loud. Ready, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Liz. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. On a side note, just to tell you how much my bias is kind of permeated today, this morning, as, and she didn't know I was doing this, she was like, you know, my birthday's come and it's okay. I really don't want you to tell anybody at church that it's my birthday today. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not going to work, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so thank you, guys. And that's my story. Um, I'm going to move into the scripture reading. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Colossians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 in the New International Version. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you are also a master in heaven. You also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. Tony and Liz, if you need to sneak out and go have a birthday celebration, I understand. Even though listening to a sermon would be top on my list for a birthday. In our scripture passage this morning, Paul talks about the mystery of Christ. This this terminology, it elicited for me memories of people I once knew, now long ago, who seemed to know a Christ that had no mystery, and they had all the answers. For me, I did my undergraduate degree at a school called Linfield College. It's down in McMinnville, Oregon. Some of you may have heard of it. It is a small private liberal arts school. It once identified itself as a Christian institution, but it no longer does. And because of that, a good portion of the student body, they weren't Christian. Um, Or if they said that they were, it wasn't a lifestyle, it was just merely a claim. However, some of the people that I attended school with that said they were Christian would make a grand production of the fact. I was a new Christian at the time and was a bit overwhelmed by the grandiosity of these people and how they lived their lives. Or better yet, I should say, how they said they lived their lives. I remember people bragging about how often they read their Bibles, how often they prayed, or the hours they spent on the worship team at church. People would talk about the number of souls they had saved and how many people they'd been mentoring in the faith. Being that I had just become a new believer a little over a year prior to going to college, these things were all things I would have kept a secret. Didn't these people know that non-Christians did not think that was cool? Nor did it entice them away from the fun and lively kager to sit around at a prayer circle on Friday night 
one-upping each other on how holy you were. Nonetheless, these Christians were a part of my community. They burnt me Christian music CDs so I would no longer be listening to secular music. They gave me rides to church where it was such a production on Sunday morning, I often felt like I was at the Super Bowl halftime show rather than a worship service. And I attended that same church three of the four years that I was in college, and the pastor or any of the staff never learned my name. I don't even know if they would be able to tell you that I attended church there. And to be honest, I didn't get in with the in crowd of the Christians because I wasn't Christian enough for them. My closest circle of friends consisted of non-Christians, and people would often ask me if these secular friends were my mission. And then they'd be a bit dumbfounded when I would respond, nope, they're just my friends. These individuals seemed to think the only reason you'd befriend someone outside of your own faith was to win them to Jesus, a term many people would use around me. At this time in life, I felt this tug and pull on who I was and who I thought I was supposed to be. I accepted Christ because within me there was a longing to be loved unconditionally and truly unconditionally. I felt connected to the story of God creating humankind, desiring to be in relationship with us, and making a way for that to happen through Jesus Christ. I experienced the peace that surpasses all understanding when I made this leap of faith. And my belief to this day has been accompanied from time to time with doubt and uncertainty. Yet I rest in the fact that God is bigger than me. Christ is mysterious. And the ways of the Almighty are not my ways, nor are the Almighty's thoughts my thoughts. It is a reassurance to me to know that I am loved is enough. But it never seemed enough for some of these Christians I experienced. And you may know the type. The world is black and white. God is easily explained, and they can make sense of everything in their Bible. Every question of faith is met with an answer. And the only purpose of Jesus is to save us from hell and be our ticket to heaven. They are the first to point out just how sinful and disgusting the world is. They don't even have the courtesy to listen to another's point of view because they believe they are right and that person is wrong. Prior to coming to faith, I saw these people as people I never wanted to be around, primarily because I knew they could care less about me as a person, but I was a project, someone to convert, someone they would save. Their God seemed small, cruel, and unforgiving. Paul's words in Colossians also conjured up another memory for me, a contrasting image of the previous group. One of a faithful people I have known who have lived out these verses, people whose belief is genuine and strong, 
but at the same time laced with humility and grace. The type of person all people want to be around. In this passage in Colossians, there is an opportunity to live a life of faith that contains mystery and ignites a desire to live a more Christ-centered life. Paul's words in Colossians can encourage a believer today. Paul first writes to his subjects on the importance of prayer and then moves into how to act towards outsiders. I was once teaching a group of high school students about the value and need for prayer in their life. And spontaneously, I just said, I just want to put it out there, you guys. If you do not pray, you are not a Christian. Because a vital part of prayer is that you find your need and you develop your relationship with God. I remember right after I said these words, I think I kind of turned a little red because instantaneously I was, I was convicted myself. I did then and I continue to this day to struggle with my own prayer life. Commentator James Sweeney said, Paul characterized prayer in this chapter with four attributes. Persistence, vigilance, thankfulness, and mission-mindedness. The persistence in prayer that Paul urged the Colossians came out of his own devotion to prayer. He truly was someone who practiced what he preached. But how often do we feel like amateurs when it comes to prayer? In Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, he states the cardinal rule to prayer is pray as you can. Do not pray as you can't. Then he uses this example of giving a child a coloring book and coloring crayons. And the next day, she brings to you her drawing. She has colored the sun black and the grass is purple and the sky is green. But the parent receives this with such pride. A child cannot do a bad coloring, nor can a child of God do a bad prayer. For when we pray, we are choosing to be with God. I believe this is Paul's first characteristic to the Colossians because he, of all people, knows that when one is in the presence of God, he or she cannot help but become a better person. Second, Vigilance in prayer is important. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to prayer and just fallen asleep. Or I have mindlessly recited the Lord's Prayer without letting the words wash over me. For prayer to have an impact on an individual, it is helpful to be present rather than just doing what one thinks one ought to do. Thankfulness in prayer is something I think many of us struggle with, given our context and the culture in which we live. I am tempted to look at my neighbor and want what he or she has. I am envious of people who own their own homes, drive minivans, go on vacations, and the list goes on. The other day I was playing with Mary in her room and I have this overwhelming sense of gratitude. When Ben and I needed to, le 
to leave our place that we were living in the fall, I made a list of what I would love to have in a new home. I wanted in-unit laundry, two bedrooms, if possible, a home with a yard, and I also wanted it to be a bit closer to Ben's work. Now, this is a tall order, considering we are working with a private school teacher's salary, and it's in the Bellevue neighborhood. But every one of those desires was met. And when we first moved in, I was extremely grateful. I think every day I'd wake up to Ben and say, isn't this place great? Isn't this great? But, oh, as time has gone on, I have found ways in which I want more. My gratitude has transitioned into greed. What happened is I focused in on what I didn't have, rather than seeing all that I did have. Thankfulness in prayer reminds us of the goodness that fills our lives. And sometimes that thankful prayer is, thank you, God, for loving me and sticking with me through thick and thin. Finally, Paul calls his, Paul calls his readers to mission-minded prayer. This is not born out of a desire to boost one's self-esteem by winning people to Christ. It comes from a place where Christians' lives are so impacted by the goodness and love of Jesus Christ, they can't help but want it for another. But it must be authentic. For the Christian must claim and own his or her own status as someone who is not perfect, someone who has made mistakes, and someone who is deeply in need of forgiveness. In this state, the individual can experience the radical grace, forgiveness, and divine love of God. And when this happens, you can't help but want it for another. The mystery of Christ that Paul sets forth in Colossians contains two dimensions, commentator Sweeney said. The first is that Christ came not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Christ is for all people, no matter your gender, the color of your skin, your ethnicity, sexual orientation, political party, or age. Every single person on earth is made in the image of God. The second dimension is that Christ himself is the font of divine wisdom and knowledge. To this end, when one seeks to know the meaning and purpose of life, it is to Christ they should seek. The foundation of the Christian life is rooted in prayer. When we spend intentional time with God, our priorities are reoriented. We become more grateful for what we have. We are less focused on ourselves and more on the needs of the world around us. For in prayer, we discover the connection to God is enough, and we desire for hurting people around us to have that same connection. Manning says in his book, Biblically, there is nothing more detestable than a self-righteous disciple. He is swollen with conceit that his mere presence is unbearable. However, a nagging question arises. Have I so insulated myself in a fortified city of rationalizations 
that I cannot see that I might not be as different from the self-righteous as I think that I am? I thought about those Christians from my college days a lot this week, and I did not pray for them once. I did not pray that hopefully their attitudes had changed. I did not pray that they were still in relationship with God and growing. I did not pray that the truth of God's goodness had overrided their message of God's judgment. No. Actually, in all honesty, I thought about what a better Christian I was and am than they are. I am just as self-righteous. Paul called the Colossians to be wise in the way they act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. He said, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Before we seek to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders, let us seek to be wise in the way we act towards one another in the family of faith. Instead of assuming the worst of each other, let's allow grace to lead. Perhaps we may need to let go of our allegiances to political parties, which oftentimes divide us, and we put false hope and trust in, and instead come together as people who are seeking the kingdom of God and put our hope and trust that peace comes from Christ, and together we can allow the world to experience that peace. Maybe we pray for one another, instead of casting judgment. If we as a body of believers sought to unite rather than divide, we proclaim the good news that God is love and sent Christ to bind up the brokenhearted, heal the sick and the weak, and is for all, that we might just see a shift in how the world sees the church. We might be heeding Paul's words. As one who was once an outsider, if I saw a body of believers extending grace to one another, speaking about each other in a way that built up the body rather than tore it down, that devoted themselves to prayer and had a message of God's radical love, I would be drawn to these people. So now I want you to take a minute. I want you to think about a Christian you admire someone who reminds you of Christ, someone you'd like to be more like. And as you think of this person, I ask you, is their life attainable? I asked a number of friends this week this question. People spoke of Christians who had a great deal of humility, who were not ashamed of their faith, people who loved without expecting anything in return. These Christians gave of their time to see the kingdom of God come. They lived their faith and were in relationship with fellow believers and non-believers. From the varied people I heard about, they were men and women my friends knew from church, from growing up, from college, some of them are in this room. Dorothy Day once said, to this very day, common sense in religion is rare. 
We are too often trying to be heroic instead of just ordinarily good and kind. The saints I heard about this week were just that, ordinary people. I believe the recipe for a good life can come from this passage in Scripture. Pray, and not just for yourselves. Pray for each other. Be persistent in your prayer life. Be vigilant. Be thankful. Be mission-minded. Seek to be wise in how you present your faith to others. And be gracious. And listen to Dorothy Day. Seek not to be a hero. Just be ordinarily good and kind. Amen.